You are listening to episode 87. And I also would like to introduce today the Okiki Video Bootcamp. Yes, I will be launching a course, which I will have a wait list in the show notes. And I will be launching some group coaching as well. I know there has been a lot of requests lately of people wanting to learn how can they create content for their own brands. And so I'm looking forward to bringing you along in the journey with that. If that's something that you've wanted to gain skills and techniques on, this will be for you. You'll learn systems on how to create content effectively and efficiently and have more time for yourself in the process. While reaching your clients. Again, you can find the information for the Okiki Video Bootcamp in the show notes below. Hello, everyone, and happy Black History Month. <laughs> I have to say I'm really excited to share these episodes this month because I'm always excited to share people winning in our community, especially the Black community, who may not always get the spotlight, and it's an inspiration to me. And this particular guest is a double inspiration because not only is he a first-generation Canadian that moved from Nigeria, as I am, but he's doing very well in the industry out here, and that is Charles Usuji. He's a multi-award winning lawyer and CEO of Calgary's Usuji and Smith Law Firm. And he was chosen as one of Calgary's top 40 under 40 and one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. And one of the reasons I even came across his story is that because his name sounded different, he wasn't getting hired when he first was trying to get with a law firm. He actually applied to hundreds of law firms and all of them turned him down except for one. And he's going to talk about his journey of that and overcoming the rejection to having one of the fastest rising law firms, not only in Calgary, but actually in Canada. Now this law firm has over 45 local and national recognitions and awards in the past few years. And when Charles Osuji is not working at his law firm, he is mentoring young professionals, running free legal clinics, and helping with the newcomer population to really help them get integrated and win in Canada. So I cannot wait to share with you his inspirational story. And by the way, if you've been inspired by the Okiki podcast, let me know. I would love if you left a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and let me know which episode has resonated with you the most so far. And thank you so much for doing this. This actually really does help the podcast to get seen by more individuals who might need this inspiration too. This episode is also brought to you by Okiki Consulting, where I help brands tell their stories through video content. So whether you need video content strategy, video editing services, or consulting on an individual or group level, I'm here to support you and I'm able to support in both English and French. You can learn more at okikiconsulting.com. And on with today's episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Okiki podcast. And today I have a special guest. His name is Charles Osuji, and he is a multi award winning lawyer and CEO of Calgary's Osuji and Smith Law Firm. He was actually chosen as one of Calgary's top 40 under 40 and one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. In Nigeria, he graduated top of his class at the Bachelor in Law from Emo State University. And he was also in 2010 called to the Nigerian Bar after graduating with honors with a barrister at law. And in 2014, he had the privilege of articling then Smith Law Office, where he was admitted to the Alberta Bar. And only two years later, he became partner of the firm. And in 2017, he actually became the sole owner of the firm and is now called OCG and Smith. And they have over 45 local and national recognitions. And it is one of the fastest growing mid-sized law firms in Calgary, and I believe even in Canada. So welcome to the show, Charles Osuji. Thank you, Finn. That was um, <laughs> a very kind introduction. Thank you. Before the interview, we actually talked about what drew me to Charles and his story. And I have to say, as a Nigerian, <laughs> as a first-generation Canadian, I resonate with so much of his story, including the fact that your process even of getting into this. So let's get into your story for the audience so they can also hear how inspirational it is. I've talked a bit about your educational background already, but what really got you interested in law as a purpose, as a career? Career as a pursuit in your life? So my interest could be measured in various phases. At the very beginning, I just loved to read, right? Oh, sorry, before then, I didn't love math back in school. I hated numbers. I looking for X and looking for Y. It didn't make any sense to me. So that was the first phase. And then that evolved into loving to read. And I asked myself, well, what profession would I be rewarded for reading? And law became the default profession. When I got into it, I realized that law was an opportunity for me to really make significant impact on people's lives. It's just like being a pastor or being a doctor. People trust you completely with their situation and depend solely on your competence and your integrity and your drive to be able to get them from point A to point B. I felt that was such an enormous power given to a professional. And then finally, my interest in law evolved into business of law. I also realized that law was an opportunity for me to create a business, a business that would allow people to flourish, allow younger lawyers to be mentored and create opportunities for as many people as possible, including people who come after me coming to Canada from abroad, looking for a foot in the door, looking to succeed. I realized that the business of law allowed me the opportunity to give a lot of people the opportunity to stand on their feet and progress in their career. So that has been the evolution of my interest in law from not knowing math and running away from sciences to loving to read to a privileged profession where I have enormous power to help people and then to running as a business you know expanding that opportunity and making sure that others who do not have the same privilege as many people do would have a chance in the profession that's amazing and i also wanted to talk about even the experience of being in law itself. So you have this unique situation where you studied it in a whole other country, right. uh, got at the top of that class, and then 
also did it in Canada and in North America. So I guess in light of your experiences, what were some of the learnings in doing that profession in two completely different realms? And mm -hmm. how did it also shape the way you do law today? For sure. Good question. The benefit I have as a Nigerian trained lawyer is that Canada and Nigeria share the same common law heritage. We all picked up our legal system from Britain, both countries. So back in law school at home, we studied most of the cases folks here studied in law school. So that foundational commonality, I would say, you know, makes integration easier for people coming from Nigeria to Canada. But I tell people that passing the exams is not the problem for <laughs> Nigerians. The main challenge is getting your foot in the door and getting ahead. The way the system is structured here, you have to write the first set of exams. After passing the first set of exams, your qualification is deemed to be equivalent to the qualification of those that started here. And after that, you have to intern on what they call article. And for you to article, you need to find a law firm who's willing to give you a chance, who's willing to give you an opportunity. That is where the challenge is for international trained lawyers. The substance, the law itself, isn't really the big challenge. Of course, there's discrepancies here and there or differences here and there as to how things are done. The names of the judges, the, the hierarchy of the court, the civil procedure, the legislations, some differences here and there, but the fundamental aspects of law are the same. The main challenge for someone who has crushed the ocean to practice law elsewhere is really getting it into a law firm and establishing myself. Because you come in here without any professional network, you don't know a lot of people, you're unsure of your competence, you don't know if your credentials be accepted, you don't know what the culture is in terms of how things are done. So there's so many uncertainties and you're talking to firms who may not know where you went to school. They may not have heard about your school. They just so many barriers to integration. So that's really what the main challenge is for international trend lawyers. My story is a testament to the fact that once you give us an opportunity to get in, you know, we just don't, we not only flourish, we saw, we succeed. And when we succeed, we also look back and make sure that those coming after us have a smoother journey that we had. Yes, thank you. And that's a really great segue into the next question of what was your biggest obstacle getting it? So I know that you began to explain it to the audience as the challenges of coming to a totally new community, new environment, mm -hmm. and how they perceive, you know, how competent you are. So in that, what was your biggest challenge of even getting that first foot in the door? And what did you have to do then? to excel in North America or in Canada in, in this kind of perception and system that you're right. discussing? There was a plethora of challenges. Like I said earlier, lack of network. You know, you're competing with folks who were born and raised here, whose network has organically grown and increased over time. But the greatest challenge was really me, you know, the imposter syndrome coming to a new country. It is so humbling when you leave your comfort zone to get into a new country. It doesn't matter whether you were a star back home, whether you graduated top of a class, whether you're the most popular person, you come into a new country where all of that identity needs to be reestablished. You're starting from ground zero. It's very humbling. Then at that point, you begin to ask yourself questions as to whether you're good enough, whether the society would accept you. 
And when you start looking for work and nobody's calling you back, the imposter syndrome even becomes, <laughs> it gets worse. So I was the main challenge coming in. Fear of failure, apprehension of not making sense of the move from my comfort zone to here. And many of us professionals, what we left behind isn't that terrible, put it that way. You know, I had graduated from law school. I was about to start my journey. I was about to start looking for firms and get established. So I didn't come here and declare refugee status. Does that make sense? I came as a professional. I had the license to practice back home. So that makes the stake even higher because you want to make sure that you haven't screwed up your journey. You, you want to make sure that the decision to leave something comfortable and somewhat predictable makes sense. So I was the greatest challenge, but I overcame that by connecting to mentors, mentoring organizations, and folks who have succeeded. It's important to surround yourself with success. When I saw a few people who went through the same path and they're doing very well, I realized that maybe I can do it. And I also connected with a few mentors who had practiced for many years. And these people could see in me what I couldn't see myself. Their support, their encouragement, and their push you know, reinforced my journey. And ultimately, I got in after hundreds of applications. I got my foot in the door. And Mr. Smith, my former principal at the time, gave me a chance. All thanks to him, because he didn't really have any compelling reason to give me a chance. We didn't go to the same school, probably 45 years apart in terms of age. So there weren't a lot of commonalities between the two of us, but he saw the drive, he saw the hunger, and I got in, and the rest is history. Wow, I really love, love that, hearing that story, hearing the mentors, and hearing that connection with Mr. Smith, who... It sounds like from what you're saying, wasn't even in that mentor group necessarily, no, but yeah. probably saw the cumulative effort of all the things you had learned and put forward to him that probably right. impressed him in a way to bring right. you in. And again, in talking about that, and thank you for really disclosing like even the emotions of the journey of, you know, right. being a first generation Canadian and, and getting into professions and all of that. I also wanted to talk about then your process of even joining the firm, learning, and what took you from I'm working at this firm to, you know what, I actually think I can run a firm because there's definitely not a lot of firms, maybe I'm not as knowledgeable in this space, but that I have seen publicly that have a person of color in Canada as a lead on. Right. So right. what was that process even from, yeah, employee to Yeah, absolutely. Good, good question. You know, when I joined the firm, I just wanted to put my head down and learn. That was it. I wasn't that ambitious, to be very honest with you. <laughs> and when you go, when you go the path of, or told the path that I've told, you wouldn't have a lot of ambition, right? You've been humbled in the first instance by the number of applications you've made, you only got one, one phone call. So even if you had that fire under you or in your belly, that fire gets quenched a little bit. You know, you get humbled. So there wasn't a lot of ambition. My focus at the time was simply to put my head down and learn. And I put in the hours. I rented a space that was three minutes away from the office so that I would be the first to be in the office and the last to leave. I was putting in 14, 20 hours, seven days a week. It was insane. Christmas Day, Easter Day, 
New Year, I was working. But what tends to happen is what you put in is what you get. Whatever you focus on this time, I was putting the hours, not knowing that, you know, I was, I began to experience a compound effect of what I was putting in. I started getting better at my work. Within a year and a half, I was bringing in the most money to the firm. I was bringing in the most number of clients or the highest number of clients to the firm. So it happened organically that I would buy into the partnership because I was pretty much the rent maker in the firm. So that partnership conversation was very natural and organic. We had that conversation and about, I think shortly afterwards, Mr. Smith indicated that he was looking to retire. I wasn't the first choice, so to speak, in terms of who he was negotiating with. I think he was negotiating with a few other people. Again, I had no ambition of taking over the firm. I just wanted to do my work. You know, I was a partner and I was good. But it happened that the conversation didn't go well. And he came to me and said, Charles, if, if you're interested, we can have this conversation. And I said, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> I made it very clear I was not interested. Because I thought it was crazy for me to go from associating in the last year and a half to owning the firm. And I had only practiced for just two years. And Mr. Smith was like, what are you afraid of? Let's look at your numbers. Your numbers, the most of the best in the, in the firm. And I was involved in lots of community work. The clients love me. And I had a healthy book of clients. I ran to my oldest brother, ran to some of my mentors. And they said, Charles, you're a rock star. You can do this. The worst that would happen is we borrow money from the bank and we'll support you. That was it. That was that mindset change. I'm like, you know what? What's the worst that would happen? It, didn't, it doesn't work out, but I gave it a shot. So I decided to negotiate with him but i didn't want to rush that conversation the transaction actually took almost a year i took my time i, I realized that i needed to learn firm management i needed to understand the things that he, you know mr smith wasn't doing right right where i can improve upon so i took my time to rebrand the firm. So I, I first of all changed the name i worked on the website at the time mr smith was that was a one pager Everything was on that one page. <laughs> I spent more than 30 grand on the website. I listened to lots of podcasts, lots of videos on firm management, client management. I was talking to mentors or talking to people. I started exploring other practice areas. So in that one year, I was able to get the firm in a very marketable position. Then I finalized the, the transaction in sometime late 2017. At that point, I realized that I was an entrepreneur. I never knew that I was an entrepreneur. Sometimes you just don't know the talent that you have until the situation presents itself. All the decisions I made were accurate. They were fruitful. They resulted or yielded positive results. And here I am, no formal education on business, no formal education on firm management. You know, we're now one of the largest black and law firm in Canada in the last five years. We have two locations looking at expanding up to other provinces. You know, just life, life is funny, put it that way. You just don't know what you have at your disposal. But I know that I had the fundamentals. I had the focus. I had the discipline, integrity as well. Mr. Smith trusted me with everything in the firm, access to the bank account, all of that. You know, one year into joining him and there was no time he had any regrets with the level of access he gave me. You know, there wasn't any disappointment. We worked well together, mutual respect, integrity. So I had all of those fundamentals in place um, at a time. And I'm sure that 
the cumulative effect of all of that is just success at the end of the day. For sure. I love the story and I love hearing the process of building from just associate to business owner because it's one thing to be in the firm. It's a whole right. other thing to run a firm. And even right. the relationship you had with Mr. Smith because in him retiring and handing it over to you, that was another curious part of the story for me because again, um, as someone who's worked for many years and to connect with you in such a way, I figured there must have been quite a relationship built there. And then we talked about how you are one of the largest Black-owned firms, but not only largest Black-owned firms, one of the fastest growing uh, mid-sized firms as well. Um, so even talking about that, and you talked a bit on this, the process in launching your brand. And so what was the biggest obstacle you've had to face as a firm, not just as an individual now, but as a whole firm and a new brand that you are the leader of, uh, what has been the biggest obstacle that your firm has had to overcome in getting all of those accolades? Thank you. To me, one of the greatest challenges managing the growth, right? After I took over the firm, I actually kept Jim on as my employee, Mr. Smith. <laughs> I kept him on for about a year and a half because I needed his presence, I needed his wisdom, and I needed his blessing. So having him around was important to me. We went from about six people, right now we're almost hitting 30 in the last five months. Just this month alone, um, I've hired about four lawyers who will be starting in January. So the growth has been massive. The challenge with that is being able to be a good lawyer and at the same time a good businessman, right? It's, it's, it's a, sensitive balance to strike sometimes. Right now, I could have been working on a file or I could have been in court or having a consultation with a client, but I've chosen to do this with you because you've given us an opportunity to tell our story. You've given us a platform to let the world know what we are all about. So that is the business side of it, that branding side of it. At the same time, I want to make sure that if I promise the client I was going to get back to them today with their draft letter. I have to meet <laughs> that expectation. Yeah, so it's been a challenge balancing business with law because in as much as we're growing, I don't want us to grow to the detriment of the quality of services that we're bringing to our client because that's what got us here in the first place. We got here because we put our head down and focused on compassionate services or providing compassionate services, providing good quality work for the client. You know, our reputation is as good as the last client experience. So we want to make sure that that does not get sacrificed. At the same time, you still have to keep the doors open, make sure that there's room for, for growth and the growth is being managed. So that has been the challenge in a way I'm right now, but I think we're, we're making progress. The firm has hired uh, a few experienced lawyers recently. And with them coming on board, I'm able to push some work to their care and continue to be the face of the firm, continue to brand and bring in work. And I also wanted to touch on the fact that you mentioned, and I've seen in some articles and posts, because of your challenges of getting in, and now that you're in and that you're able to show, hey, like it was worth having someone like me in this space at the table, right. that your firm is actually aiming to do that. So. I just thought I wanted to touch on the fact that you're talking about the diversity of your firm as, as well as keeping up with that quality of performance. Right, absolutely. My success is not complete 
unless other people have succeeded because of me, right? There's no such thing as success if folks have not gotten ahead because of your story or because of your help or because of your support. And this is why I realized that where I'm right now is very privileged. I don't think this is going to be all about me anymore. It has to be about people coming after me. It has to be about people listening to this story and watching us. It has to be about people going, still going through the imposter syndrome, whether they're good enough, whether they have a lot to bring to the table, whether they can make an impact. And when they hear stories like mine, they realize that success is not far away. So long as they have the right head on their shoulder and they support themselves with strong, strong people. Because of these peculiar challenges I faced, and those challenges are not that very peculiar. Many people, many internationally trained talents, they go through the same challenges. They come into their country. They have to pay a lot of money to get licensed. Some of them will end up working in working survival jobs to be able to save. Some come with families. And for them to be able to get their licensing journey started, they have to take care of the family. They have to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And then some struggle to get in. They get the Canadian experience because nobody will give them a chance, either because of how they sound or because nobody understands or appreciates the, their education. That is a problem which has a solution. And the solution is for someone like me to ensure that there's room for others who come after me to prosper. And that has led to the program that we are working on in the firm, the Foot in the Door initiative. That initiative is intended to fix the problem that I faced when I came into the country, I didn't know anyone and I couldn't get my foot in the door until a year or two later after a series of connections. I want to make that easier for those that come after me. I want someone to come into the country, come into Calgary, and after a week, be able to start volunteering the firm, even if it's once a week or twice a week. They get in, they get comfortable, they build confidence, they are connected to how things work, they learn how to interact. They begin to be culturally educated. After three to six months, they have some level of comfortability that they're able to go out there and, and, and apply for positions. We're also looking at providing them with financial support so they don't face the initial challenge of having to save funds to pay for licensing exams and stuff like that. What we're doing is not just going to happen in our firm. We're looking at partnering with other lawyers and other law firms so that rather than helping 100 people in a year, we're able to help 500 people in a year because we have partnerships all over the place. And more importantly, we are creating an awareness that there's a problem. You know, when you read the news or listen to the news, you hear about the crisis in the healthcare. You know, they talk about crisis in the healthcare, but at the same time, it's almost impossible for internationally trained doctors or nurses to get integrated in Canada, right? We know what this solution is. The solution is right there in our front. In law, they talk about access to justice and diversity of representation on the bench or elsewhere. Part of the solution is to make sure that talents that come into the country have clear path of integration and not just the exams. Beyond writing the exams, foreign trained lawyers, they work very hard. They don't take opportunities for granted. They work hard to pass the exams, but giving them real opportunities of getting in, getting their foot in the door and getting some experience as they come in. So that is the small part that we're playing in this crisis. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing what your firm is actively doing to begin to create bridges in this issue. 
And I guess as we're drawing closer to the end, one of my last questions is, where do you see this firm in the next five years? (laughs) (laughs) I asked myself that question a few times, but I realized that I didn't even think too far ahead five five years ago. (laughs) I was just focused on taking the first step and the next step and, and watching things unfold. But my ultimate goal is to establish a national firm, a firm that has presence across the country, if not beyond. I want to shatter as many ceilings as possible. And I know it's, it's, it's definitely possible. You know, the, the big firms, the national firms we currently have in the country started the way we started. You know, they, they started with focusing on excellence, focusing on diversity, focusing mm-hmm. on things that really matter. And then watching that growth organically expand. That is the ultimate goal. By the end of the day, I, I just want people to look at what we're doing and realize that, you know, there isn't really any limit. You know, we can achieve whatever we set our hearts to, uh, provided that we have strong tribe, uh, strong tribe of supporters and we have the right head on, the, on our shoulders and we're very disciplined and focused on the goal and not losing the fundamentals. I keep saying that making sure that the primary purpose of being a lawyer is not defeated, which is help people, help people, help people, help people. I I don't gain anything by establishing a national firm, but when clients come to us, they don't get treated well, or they don't get the result that they want. That would not be the, the outcome that I want. So in as much as we have this grandiose plan of establishing presence across the country and really challenging people that come after us that this is possible. We don't want to lose focus of what really matters, which is helping clients go from point A to point B, which is how this all started in the first place. Thank you. And my last question for you is, what do you value the most about the position you're in today? I value a lot of things, but my number one is I now have a real opportunity to make real difference in people's lives, especially people that don't have the privilege people born and raised here have, international trained lawyers. That is my goal. And I value that I'm in a place where I can make that real change. I've had so many people become lawyers under me, including one that's going to be a lawyer on Monday. You know, she just finished her program in my firm. That is what I love to do. And I want to increase the number of people that I help. I've convinced other lawyers in the firm to take on students. We now have a record number of, I think, six Arkland students in one firm, which is crazy. But it is rewarding. I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So I value that opportunity to help people um, get ahead professionally. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles, for being on the podcast and sharing your inspirational journey and really having more dimensions to what law means than I expected to hear on the Mm. podcast. So thank you so much for sharing the value with our audience today. Thank you, Faye. And thanks for what you're doing, you know, creating a platform for many people to share their journey, to share their story. What you're doing is to ensure that the positive narrative has a place out there rather than the negative narrative. So thank you for being a conduit for these stories. Thank you. Very much appreciate that. You're welcome.